Hello and welcome to the Quarantine Film Club, episode two. Uh, I'm Mike. Are we I'm not Kurt. called Elite Country anymore? We can be. Elite Country Part 2, The Revenge, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Alex. We knew that already. And I'm Kurt, that Alex talked over, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know where he lives, but I don't anymore. Ha ha ha. We continue to be the well-oiled podcasting machine that we have been for the last nine years. Dear scary. God, that is scary. <laughs> the living hell. Yes, 2011 we've been going since, and oh boy. Um, anyway, we're here once again to talk about more films that we've watched in the uh, weeks since the last episode. Um, we've had a, a quick conflab beforehand, and first of all... We're going to get a Kurt who's going to talk about uh, true romance. Do you mean as a concept or as a... Well, I mean, preferably the film that you've watched. Oh, see. Right, I did, yeah. Uh, I had a bit of a Tarantino binge this weekend, uh, starting with... Because uh, I've got a, bl- a Blu-ray box set. So, um, yeah, true romance. Love true romance. I remember seeing it in cinema when it first came out. Um, a really big favourite of mine. It's, it's a Tarantino movie by script, but it is directed by Tony Scott. It stars Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. Yes, that's right around. Yeah, um, and a, a, a massive cast of of, of um, people guests, guests kind of well, people like Christopher Walken <laughs> and um, loads of people kind of appearing out of nowhere, unrecognisable at times, like Gary Oldman, looking like nothing else you've ever seen him. Well, um, I'm looking at the cast list now because I mean, we amazing. had the discussion beforehand, and this is not a film I'd actually heard of, which I know disappointed you in ways that are beyond imagining i am um, shocked i am yeah. I really am because not not in a mate you should definitely watch it it's just because it, it's really good and it's not it's not obscure and weird and uh, you know my usual fare it's just really good well, um, I, looking at the list of names it's like okay christian slater patricia arquette dennis hopper val kilmer gary oldman brad pitt christopher walken samuel l jackson very much I mean, and before then he, he was before he was a thing yeah yeah then he identified saul rubinek james gandolfini mm. There's there's a lot of people in there that are Brad Pitt. major oh. stars. I'd already yeah, gone Brad, for that one. I have you. I missed that. Yeah, there are. Um, most of them having very small parts as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Falcon went to the point where you don't see him properly. He's, it, it's, <laughs> you don't, you, I'm not joking either. He's he's a very subdued. Um, he's on screen and uh, you don't really see his face except out of focus at a distance. He's he's a very interesting character. Um, it's just a really good film. It's it's a, a romance. I actually watched the alternative ending with with Tarantino's commentary as well after watching it because I wasn't I couldn't remember what happened and there was he originally scripted it with um, without any real spoilers of a different ending a more sadder ending and uh, without spoiling it for you, Mike. Um, but Tony, Tony Scott wanted a more upbeat, felt that they deserved an upbeat ending, and it, it's it's really really good. Um, it's it's it very much three defined acts and it's just, uh, very well written, very well directed. Um, I think I probably watched it because it was Tony Scott initially, because none of us had heard of Tarantino at the time. Um, mm. Whether you remember that, you know, that being a thing. I mean, I saw Reservoir Dogs before knowing who Tarantino was as well. Um, I mean, I am going to say this was 1993. I was 10 years old when this came out. I was not. <laughs> I was not 10 years old when this came out. I was not 10 years old either. You were like 11. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was. I was eight. Oh wow! You're the way. Okay. No, I was 20, so um, I went oh. to cinema. Yeah. Yep. It was very good. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so uh, it's just really good. I would recommend it. It's one of my, I would say, probably my favourite Tarantino, possibly. Uh, certainly one of my 
top 10, top 20, if I had to write a list films, True Romances. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of my, uh, right up there. I mean, I, it's really, really good. Yeah. Again, not one I've heard of. Um, and to be honest, I, I'm looking at some of the director's previous stuff. It does look like um, he's done, I mean, he's definitely done some interesting stuff. Uh, what, Tony Scott? Yeah. Yeah, some Director. huge blockbusters, especially in the 80s. Yeah. yeah, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide's awesome, I love Crimson Tide. Yeah, he's done amazing uh, films. Yeah, and Crimson Tide, which incidentally I've only watched for the first time recently. Crimson Tide is it's really cool, submarine movie, it's really, really good. Um, uh, it works with a lot of the same people, like a lot of directors. Um, you yeah. see a lot of repeating, repeating actors and appearances. It, uh, but um, so it, it, back in the sort of eighties, Ridley Scott was making quite obscure, weird sci-fi, all sorts of unusual type things. And Tony Scott was the more commercial brother who would make, make Top Gun, make Days of Thunder, make these these blockbusters that would be you know Joel Joe Silver kind of blockbusters. And they did, sort of came together somewhere in the nineties when sort of uh, well, I think Gladiator was two thousand. But when Gladiator seemed to change that at the end of the 90s when, when suddenly Ridley Scott started making things that were big and probably more people know Ridley Scott's name now than Tony, which wasn't the case back yeah. then, I think. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely say that. Um, yeah, just based off uh, Ridley Scott's um, association with things like the Alien series, Blade Runner, just... But that's now. Then they were, oh, were yeah, kind definitely. of they were geeky alternative sci-fi movies. Then, yeah. so uh, then now you're right. Pop culture has changed quite dramatically, and they are films that, that yeah that are more yeah. So I yeah had a bit of a start of a Tarantino binge, and that's kind of started because I think of it as a Tarantino movie. I, partly, I suppose because when you watch, especially if you watch, so I watched three Tarantino movies this weekend, and the dialogue overlap is huge between those three, between the first three films, between True Romance, Reservoir Dogs, and Pulp Fiction. He borrows phrases dialogue between those movies quite heavily and you, you can really recognize that they are they're almost a trilogy of themselves in a way so you, you kind of talked around true romance quite a lot what's the uh, sort of the general gist of it without uh... it's a it's a bonnie and clyde-esque romance between um between clarence and um i forgot her name now um, alabama Alabama, yeah. So uh, they meet, fall in love, um, get into a bit of trouble, kind of accidentally, and then kind of go on the run. But they're not from the police, just but from from bad people. Um, yeah, I don't know how to sort of do that without spoiling it. I think it's better to watch it. But oh, it's, okay. it's really, really good fun. It's not. It, you could say it's a road movie, but it's not really. They start in Detroit and they go to LA. It's yeah. not really a road movie, as in they you see them travel. But they uh, they flee to LA, or um, no, it's not really true. They just go there to facilitate things and yeah it's just really really good it's it does not an awful lot necessarily happens fairly, the plot is fairly kind of short point A to point B in a lot of respects but it's there's a lot going on around them yeah okay see it's difficult to talk about without ruining it I think if you've never seen it and see whereas I've got um, I've recently watched another one of the lesser known um, I hesitate to say Tarantino's but he was, he was partially involved in it and um yeah uh four rooms oh i like four rooms that was years ago i saw four rooms last time yeah tim roth isn't it that it's uh, so again it's it's another I, tarantino was one of i think it was either four or five directors that were uh, involved in the project um 
Was, uh, was Rodriguez involved as well? Was it? Uh, yes. So it's a yeah. 1995 film. Uh, directors Alice Nanders, Alexander Rockwell, uh, Robert Rodriguez, uh, Quentin Tarantino, and huh, interesting. IMDb lists Chuck Jones. I, I suspect there's a cartoon sequence that's shown on there. That uh, oh, of, of, of course, the actual cartoon sequence in the film. Oh, at the start. So right. that that is even more interesting that Chuck Jones did that. Anyway. Um, Four Rooms is a series of slightly tangentially connected short stories that are a lot more wacky than I would normally credit Tarantino get, with being. The cast is, is interesting as well, isn't it? There's a lot of people that you kind of go, oh, who's that? I know that. I know that. Who's that person? Isn't she so-and-so's oh, daughter the, in this? Or isn't the, that person this? And- genuinely, there was a moment where it's like, that looks like Madonna, but it can't be. No, she wouldn't be involved in something like this. Looked it up on IMDb. Oh no, that is Madonna. Yeah, uh, yeah, it o- is, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Antonio Banderas is in there as well. Salma Hayek, although um, that's very much a, a background piece. Um, yeah, as you said, you've got uh, Tim Roth, Marissa Tomei. You've got a really kind of good, solid cast in there. Um, the stories are most. Uh, the, the, well, the stories are interesting. But you really have to be prepared for something that is far more wacky than anything else I've ever seen Tarantino do or be involved in. It's it's got a, definitely got a touch of the surreal. I haven't watched it in a long time, um, but yes, it is. It's well, given it's the kind f- of four separate stories with 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 Tim Roth being the kind of bellboy connecting character between these between the, between the four stories but the four stories are kind of connected as well it's yeah i mean you're, you're dealing with a, a hotel on new year's eve um it is a little bit of a grotty hotel i think it's fair to say um tim roth is kind of a, a, the incoming bellboy who's dealing with everything and he's trying to uh put a happy face on everything and uh give people the best time he can and there are a load of whack jobs in his hotel, starting with a group of witches hoping to resurrect a goddess. Um, wow, I'd forgotten that. That's really yeah, yes. that's literally the first sequence. And right. if anything, it gets weirder from there. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's probably one of Tarantino's lesser regarded films as well. It's not by any means the, the, a highlight of his oeuvre, shall we say. Um, but it is it's good fun um, if you're looking for something that's silly and weird I'd probably silly and weird it. yeah silly and weird is where I am where I live I yeah so, so what other Tarantino did you uh, get your hands on um, went um, chronologically so went with um, uh, True Romance and then Reservoir Dogs um, which I haven't watched in quite a long time um, I remember seeing that opening weekend before I had any clue who Tarantino was or what this thing was and Friday or Saturday night of opening weekend um, and loved it. Pack Cinema, really, really loved it from the start. Um, also, I remember being convinced that you see him actually cut his ear off. I was convinced for two or three years between video, between cinema and then video or, or DVD that you see it. And of course, it's all implied. Given, um, given the film is 1992, I think it would be more likely to VHS than DVD, but there we go. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I need to be mean. Um, <laughs> I wasn't trying to be, but there we go. Uh, yeah, it's uh, probably VHS. Yeah, um, it was very. Um, it, it was it awesome. I loved it. It was fantastic. Um, and watching it again was really. I mean, I've seen it in, obviously since, but it was really, really good. That's a really so, good story. Just it's a diamond heist kind of. Yeah. Um, gone wrong is that the fair to say yes lovely flashbacks of the, as they got together and as they yeah. met each other and just a, a gradual flashbacks of all the characters filling in their stories as it goes well it's it's very much a story that's told out of order which I think does become something of a Tarantino trademark for a while at least um, yeah I don't think it happens oh no it, it comes and goes doesn't it because you can say yeah. that about several other films later on too yeah um, and you're dealing with a group of people who are all dealing with each other in code names and again for what is um i think kind of a low budget movie you're dealing with a fantastic cast yeah very like uh, harvey Keitel, tim roth again part of tarantino's i think at the time cast. it was made it wasn't that the cast wasn't as big as they are now i would argue harvey Keitel, i think was the was yeah. the, the biggest name yeah, Ka- Kaitel was definitely the, the headline act of that piece. Uh, I think Chris Penn was very much kind of uh, earlier yeah. in his career, but kind of upcoming. Uh, Tim Roth, you're probably right, he was not that well known. Steve no. Buscemi, character actor, yeah. Again, early on, uh, although he's older, he, it was early on, he'd done quite obscure B-movies, uh, indie movies by that point, yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. So you're right. It, it is a cast that has become more famous in retrospect, as it were. Yes, it's just really good. Um, I just yeah, it, again, it's a quick retrospect. You start kind of at, not quite at the end, but towards the end of the movie, and you gradually get flashbacks to them as they meet each other and come to terms with what they're trying to do. Yeah. No, it, it, it does have a very interesting storytelling style in that. It's just as you're starting to wonder about certain things that it flashes back and gives you that bit of information. Yeah, that's very just, true. Just, just fills in a little bit more, but never quite gives you the full picture of who you can trust, who's being genuine, who's maybe a bit more on the take than others. It's... Yeah, it's, it is a very well-done film. It's one that myself, uh, I've only watched in the last... Ooh, 12 to 18 months well for the um, first time wow. yeah yeah a, a lot of Tarantino movies kind of passed me by because I was either too young or not very interested in them um, they did kind of get I could understand from the hype point of view they did get sort of uh, overhyped after a while uh, and look I don't know if that's fair because he's really good as a director oh yeah he has a very unique style and and um, really doesn't do anything by halves but at the same time there is a hype attached to a Tarantino movie, um, so I can understand people avoiding or sort of leaning away from it from that point of view. And I'm not a great—I don't lean towards big hyped movies. But having started with Tarantino right at the beginning, I don't—I ignore the hype and just watch it for how make my decisions. Make my you opinion. used to watch Tarantino films before they were cool, though, didn't you? <laughs> well, they, they were only cool. I think the only time they were before they were cool. Is that opening couple of weeks of Reservoir Dogs? That was, and then they were suddenly very cool. Yeah, that's yeah, but only briefly. True. Yeah. Now I think over the years I've kind of come to appreciate him more as a director, uh, other than Kill Bill Two, but that's a side point. Um, 
We can come back to that one. We'll circle around back round to Kill Bill. Um, in, in several years when I've got over my anger issues. Um, I uh, also um, watched a film that I didn't see in cinema over the weekend, which was Pulp Fiction. And I oh, remember okay. the first time I watched that, which I think was a probably DVD, and I remember almost turning it off. I remember being really annoyed by it when I first watched it. Um, in, in what sense? Because I didn't know what it was, so I didn't know oh. what I was didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was. I deliberately avoided any spoilers or anything that told me anything. And um, you get to the Christopher Walken speech in the middle, where Bruce Willis is, yeah, the boy that becomes Bruce Willis <laughs> yeah. is giving yeah. the big speech <laughs> by Christopher Walken. And at that point, I'm like, well, this is interesting, but I don't know where this fits <laughs> together. I don't care. You don't care about characters unless you've watched it before. By that point in the film, you don't give two monkeys back. Yeah, but you're building that up, aren't you, I think? Um, It's a repeat-watch type of film, but you watched it the first time. I didn't see it in cinema, so the cinema, I probably would just sat there and gone, okay, yeah, what next? Okay, okay. But at home, watching it, I went, oh, my God, what is this trying to do? (laughs) I didn't turn it off, but almost did. I I will actually say, I I had a very similar experience to you the first time I watched it. I couldn't deal with it the first time I watched it, I just did not care about no, anything that was happening in that film um, but it was only in years later, after having had like multiple discussions of oh no, it's an excellent film, you need to watch it like, okay and then I went back to it, the second time I was like, I get this now I, I get more of this uh, I can't specifically remember the first time I, I did watch it, but I can't ever remember any any memories of thinking this is no good. I I yeah, I think I quite quite liked it from the outset. To be fair, I am um, this time watching it. I was really aware of thinking about the the chronology and where the things fit together fit together. And the, the, so the you obviously have to take the Christopher Walken speech completely out because it, it doesn't belong anywhere <laughs> apart from apart from like. 30 years before the film uh, or as a flashback memory which is kind of what it is but it doesn't have you don't need to know that till afterwards um, what I did realise watching it um, yesterday was most of it is in order the vast majority of it is just in order yeah yeah I'd agree and I didn't, re- I didn't re- I thought for ages certainly for a couple of viewings that it was quite jumbled up and then you watch it now and you go right so the beginning in the cafe belongs quite a lot quite sort of in the middle and the ending belongs with it somewhere in the middle but the rest of it actually flows chronologically quite staggeringly so it's because uh, you kind of i kind of made that assumption that it's all kind of mixed up and it's not at all yes okay <laughs> um that that's that then i guess Move yeah well, i thought i thought everyone's gone quiet so i thought I'd no we, we, we were kind of you you were giving us a good spiel and we thought you were going to carry on but um i wondered if i'd lost connection that's why i stopped no um, no no i just really like it it's got it's got really interesting characters um it really made it brought back travolta in a big way it it launched uh Samuel jackson's career in a massive way it's got a lot of very fabulous actors in the same way we just described with the two films lots and lots of Harvey Cartel again has an amazing, very small, very succinct, concentrated part that is just fantastic. Yeah, it does also, have, it uh, does... which has been prolonged into the direct line advert. <laughs> yeah, very much. Yeah, it does have that whole thing of kind of um, being a uh, a big thing for Samuel L. Jackson. It's like his career had been going for a while before this, and yes. 
yeah, it did just make him a lot bigger. Um, it's which is very strange to think of a time when Samuel L. Jackson wasn't a superstar. But uh, there you go. Well, nobody. So he's in True Romance, a very small part again, literally half a dozen lines. Quite, it's a, quite, a, quite a presence on screen, but it's a small part. And he'd been in quite a lot of other things as fairly small parts or small movies. Yeah. And after the, this was the this was the movie where there's big quotable sections that you could just quote. It's the start of quoting Samuel L. in in any context, isn't it? It's the first one. Yeah, I did have to it's remind someone recently that he was actually in uh, Coming to America. He's also in Jurassic Park. Y- yes, he is. he is. He's in Jurassic Park, looking older than he does now. Yeah, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson is somewhat aging backwards, and it's kind of strange. You have to obviously, you obviously, don't include um, Captain Marvel in that thing, thought process. It'll just, it'll just fuck with you. <laughs> yeah, that is that is very. That, true. Uh, that makes it worse, you know. Just, just you can't get away from that. It's just what? No, I'd say as, as part of that, like the whole appreciation of uh, Tarantino thing. Um, he actually gets immensely close to getting a film in my top ten of all time. Um, it's it's between like uh, his film, which is The Hateful Eight, and okay. John Carpenter's The Thing. I do like Hateful Eight because I, I think for me, John Carpenter goes comes in above that. I do like yeah. Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight isn't even my favourite Tarantino, but um, so um, I wouldn't it wouldn't come in for me. I, I like it. I yeah. like it, but the thing for me is just is seminal and and, and bordering on untouchable. Well, the the, so, thi- the thing is the inspiration for um, the hateful eight. The hateful eight is the Western version of it. Do you know what? I did not know that, and I hadn't it's, thought about that. Like. It's actually, uh, believe it or not, it's actually the same person scoring it. What John Carpenter? No, the composer from the thing is also the is composer. That, oh, okay. I thought that was John Carpenter because he scores a lot of his own films. No. Oh. He, did, he wrote the theme. Uh, he might have done. Does but he score it 10 out of 10? Yes, uh, Alex. Every time. But, um, sorry. But yeah, uh, uh, I, did, uh, I did not know. I didn't know that. This is, this is like that diehard um, moment from last time, isn't it? I didn't know that. And I'm now going, and I'm kind of processing, going, wait, I'm going to have to watch this again now. <laughs> I, I, even quite, I even quite like the uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead remake prequel of the thing. I quite like that. Hmm. I know that, a lot of people don't, but I quite mm, like it. I was, mm, I was iffy on that. I, I was half and half. I watched. It's not better. It. I, it's not better than a thing. I'm not trying to say no, it's better. No, no, no. And I, I just like it. And I think it's only tangentially connectable. I think they did as, as good a job as they could, given the boundaries of what they were in. Um, but. Uh, I felt... I'm going to have to go and watch Hateful Eight again. I'm, I'm yeah. t- I need to do that. Yep. So, uh, looking it up, it's um, Ennio Morricone. Oh, okay. Right. That's the guy who scores all the spaghetti western. Don't think yes. he scored the thing at all. Um, he scores the spaghetti western. I'm going to check the, um, All the Sergio Leone movies, he scores all of those. So, once upon a time in the west and a few dollars more and all those. Uh, he did, in fact, score the thing. He did. Yep. Wow. Okay. So obviously, John Carpenter wrote the theme, but that was it. So, so, so in this instance, I'm right. You are. And Emma Cody was the theme. Did the thing. Wow. Yep. So I, do, I love that film. It's just really good. 
Oh, oh yeah. No, the, the, the Thing is an almost untouchable movie. I am not a horror fan. I will, I will lay those cards on the table now. I love that movie just for the whole, the sense of isolation, but also the claustrophobia it gives you at the same time. So that's one of those movies. I have a, a small list of movies of things that I really want to watch with my children, but really can't. Because mm. you know you want to share things with, when you have children. You want to share things with them. And America Wolf in London and the Thing and a few other things. You kind of go, I want them to watch this, and they really can't for like ten years. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, how much do I want to scar them for life? Well, I, I'm, I've ordered who goes there, the board game, and I want to play it, but they can't watch the film that explains it. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it's, it's like, when do you first show someone Alien? When they left home. Because th- that is a film... I, I watched that while I was in primary school, uh, and I... What I, the f- yeah. What? I had problems for... Uh, like That haunted my nightmares for years you're, afterwards. So you're not the only person who said that. I uh, Somebody I um, dated had seen... just I think, think it was just the art book from it, and she didn't sleep for weeks after just... Somebody brought the art book into school at junior school. Didn't, we, didn't sleep for weeks. Yeah. Uh, Poltergeist had much the same effect. Uh, I did that, but I was, I was 12 or 13 when it was first on TV, and uh, yeah, I had the same thing. I, uh, that did- was the scariest thing I watched didn't help that I had a clown doll in the uh, in my room. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I didn't watch... So I, I watched Aliens before I watched Alien, which is awful. And I first watched Alien, I think I might have been 17, 18, and a late night, um, midnight double bill of the both of them together so, in the cinema. So you've mentioned Aliens, and I get to bring up a, a trivia fact about this one now as well. Um, the soundtrack to Aliens, uh, if you listen carefully, uh, vast swathes of it are made up of uh, tracks that were discarded from the Wrath of Khan. It's the same, same, same. Just James Horner again, isn't yep, it? Same, same, yeah, same composer, but he's brought. God, on... It's so geeky, isn't it? We're quoting composers of movies yeah. now. So, so James it, Horner also did Predator, and there's lots of elements of Predator in it too. Well, he was brought onto the project so late, he didn't have time to do a oh. full score. I didn't know that's very good it, it, geeky I like that yeah because uh, Jim Cameron fell out with the original composer um, or there's there some kind of disagreement that led to them leaving the project um, right. and Horner was brought on really late and just kind of went um, I've got these in the cupboard we can use these for this I was like yeah <laughs> yeah why not go for it excellent so there you go which is why it sounds like lots of other James Horner scores yeah exactly exactly um Actually, you're saying Predator, wasn't that Silvestri? I don't think so. I think I thought the theme, the da 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 I think was, um, I thought it was James Horner. I'll, I'll have to check that now. Yeah, I'm, I'm be embarrassed if I'm wrong here. Yeah. Clacky keyboard is coming out. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. That's the, that's the, that's, so he's not actually typing, Alex. That is a sound effect that he's inserting. That <laughs> research effect. Yeah. Uh, Predator music by Alan Silvestri. Oh, look at you. Out geeking me on scores. So uh, there we go. Twice now. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. ten uh, bonus internet points. <laughs> Absolutely. Any more on Tarantino? No, only that um, I uh, should I admit yes. So uh, what I want to watch, and I'm trying to get hold of a copy, is of the combined Kill Bill one and two, the whole damn affair. Um, I'm trying to get hold of a copy of that um, because I've heard it's a much superior film. Uh, both most both put together with bits the middle is quite different so that's what I'd like to watch at some point soon and obviously I don't need to rewatch The Hateful Eight clearly that okay I, see, 
is that? I take it that's an official cut together. So you can't get the official cut. So apparently there is a cut that was shown at Cannes. Uh, Tarantino has done a cut called The Whole Damn Affair that is both brought together with the middle being quite different. Um, he has shown it on several occasions in a certain cinema in LA. Um, I watched the thing where Adam Savage was talking about it on his channel on YouTube where he's been to see it. Um, and um, it's always... It's, there's a little who you know, but you can buy tickets. Ten bonus shows. points for... Uh for Adam Savage then he's, he's always something that other people haven't infinite uh, just stupid bonus points for Adam Savage on a constant basis to be honest <laughs> when you watch anything he's done um, and also you can't stop watching him once you start but yes yeah, so I'd like to watch that because uh, I don't entirely agree with your anger around or two we've talked about it before but I would be interested to see that difference so there are fan cut versions of it from people who have seen it and have, have cut it and apparently there's some good quality versions I'm trying to get a hold of one so I, I would say uh, anger is probably a bit of an exaggeration on my part um, Kill Bill 1 uh, I think is a really well done film um, I loved it to piece at the cinema I've watched it several times um, Kill Bill 2 I think is problematic and I think it's a problem that could be solved um, by by cutting it into well, cutting it with Kill Bill One, because it it feels like there's an extra half an hour that you could put at the end of Kill Bill One that would replace Kill Bill Two. Um, I, I think it's a film that has an awful lot of almost wasted screen time in it. Um, okay. I don't know whether that whether removing it would ruin the pace of the film though is the problem. Now um, I was never a fan of it when it first came out. Either of them, I enjoyed the first one, but I really struggled with the whole concept and the two films and everything else. So, um, but I have since kind of rewatched them and got over that a bit, and I like them now. Um, but I did struggle to begin with. I totally admit I was a bit like, "What is this? Just I don't know, self indulgent." I just really struggled with it. Yeah. Um, similar to how you felt but it, it just yeah um, but I kind of got over it and I like them now but I'm curious to see this combined cut if I can find a decent version yeah um, I, I mean fan cuts are nothing new I mean they've been sort of going around forever I mean the, the one fan cut that I've personally seen was the Phantom Edit oh, I have seen um, the Phantom Edit I'd rather like the Phantom Edit which it's to really be honest good. for cutting out what was it like seven minutes out of the Phantom Menace. I thought it was more than that, but yeah. No, it's it's not a lot. Well, it, of the theatrical run, which is an important distinction, um, because the DVD run of the Phantom Menace is this hideous, like overblown thing, which has an extra twenty minutes of pod racing. Uh, and I'll stop you there and oh. say my opinion on Phantom Menace changed dramatically when I became a parent. I understood what Phantom Menace was for once I wanted to introduce small people into Star Wars. Oh, don't get uh, me wrong, I still like for my sins the Phantom Menace. I, Phantom I, Menace is is the gateway drug I, for parents wishing to brainwash their children <laughs> into Star Wars. I actually even though there's an extra twenty minutes of pod, even though there's an extra twenty minutes of pod racing, I like the extra twenty minutes of pod racing. But sitting there as someone who like appreciates film, the Star Wars part of my brain goes, "This is amazing." There's a double-bladed lightsaber, but the film critic part of my brain sits there going, "My God, this film could lose half an hour." I do like uh, Duel of the Fates at the end. That's just fantastic. Oh, I, it's, really, I really love that. It's a superb uh, I, piece I, of scoring, and anyone who denies that is an idiot. 
I mean, I mean, I mean the music, but and scene as well. The whole, the, yeah, it's very, very good. Um, oh, yeah. Have either of you chaps got Disney Plus yet? Yes. Oh, the Dave, F- uh, the, the Dave Filoni. Yes. yes. Okay. Dave Filoni had a really interesting discussion on the actual concept of uh, the Duel of the Fates. In that, it's not just about what happens on this planet. It's actually a duel about who's about the fate of Anakin. Yeah. Because fate of the galaxy. yeah, because if, Qui- ah. if Qui Gon was the person who was see- starting to see the Jedi had become very much this kind of um, overbearing military, political. yeah, political, political entity, and he was trying to pull them back from that. Um, but because he dies, Obi Wan has to take care of Anakin, and that you see up. a very different Anakin as a result. And it was a really interesting um, bit of conversation. I mean, Dave Filoni. A lot of people say, "Oh, he's reading too much into Star Wars." Like, oh no, he's amazing. But I'd no, worship anything he does. Given how much of time he spent talking to George Lucas and analysing the films and trying to get the information out of Lucas as to how would you do this? Where would you go with this? What is the reasoning behind this? I I t- I trust him more than I do anyone else. Oh yeah, totally. I agree um, with that. Yeah. By the way, if anyone hasn't seen uh, the whole of um, oh Clone Wars, no, um, I haven't watched seven yet. No, I haven't oh, finished all of it yet. No, I'm watching it, but I haven't finished it yet. The children are catching up, so so so, so definitely not going to spoil. Um, that's why that's why I cut you off and babbled at you. Do not. But but the the final <laughs> the the final four parter. I've heard. Uh, um, which could handily be edited into uh, Revenge of the Sith um, is a fantastically directed piece of animation in its own right. And I also rather like Revenge of the Sith. I, I like that movie. It's, um, I like the prequel trilogy. I have no problem with that. They are, they are pulpy, slightly naff films, but that's what Lucas was going for. Could go and do one. I, very good. There's some bits of it, but the majority of it I just don't watch. There's there's one bit which is the romance sequence in the middle, which is a bit kind of uh, okay. <gasps> we, we could do without this. Uh, I um, don't mind the, the the noir bits of Obi Wan Kenobi. Once I realised that's what it was, although it took me like ten years to realise it was noir. You know, it was like, oh, I've got it now. He's he's being like Malone, right? Okay, yeah, I've yeah. got it now. But that took me took me far too long to realise that's what it's so like. Anyway. It, it, Manny's favourite Star Wars. It's interesting. It's only in the last couple of years I've seen the full unedited version of Attack of the Clones. Because that's still technically not available for purchase in the UK. Oh, is it not? Nope. There, in the UK version of Attack of the Clones, believe it or not, still has, I think it's two seconds cut out of it. Which, like, is oh. the most minor thing. It's is beca- that when he's cutting sunflowers? Uh, no. Um, sure. Are you sure? It's to do with a headbutt that takes place in uh, the Obi Wan and Django fight. Oh, uh, the BBFC uh, decreed that because Django was wearing a helmet when he did the headbutt, that it would be. Um, I think they could have most of it in if they bumped it up an age rating, but they couldn't have the full thing at any age rating. What headbutt with a helmet on? Yeah, BBFC are weird. It's like with wrestling and stuff as well. They're they're weird about people being hit with chairs. A lot of <laughs> I don't um, think you're making a good case. The the, uh, the, the BBFC. I mean, the, there is uh, there yeah, is weird with people being hit with chairs. Uh, there is a there's an infamous scene in a um, this is going 
to anime, admittedly, but there's an infamous scene in a Satoshi Kon uh, series. He of like Millennium Actress and uh, Perfect Blue, um, where three people um, they formed a suicide club, and they're, they're basically doing a, a suicide pact, but they are consistently failing at it. And it's a comedy episode of a series, which is kind of weird because it's it's, it's a dark series though. Um, and there is there's a scene where they uh, like a charcoal brazier and try and suffocate themselves with carbon monoxide fumes and that fails and they go through several methods um one of the scenes they try and hang themselves from the same tree but the branch breaks and they end up rolling down a hill all tied together um the bbfc said this was unavailable at any age rating because it had uh, people trying to hang themselves and that was a copyable thing have they uh are they oh okay because it's copyable. They're not Sin Evil Dead. It's much worse, but yes. Yeah, I, I, as I said, the, the, the BBFC have um, an interesting set of guidelines to work within. Um, of note, if anyone is particularly interested in this, the BBFC does do a uh, a podcast that does go through and talk to a lot of the people who rate uh, their films and talks to them about why certain things get certain age ratings, what is permissible, what isn't. Um, my my favourite story, and it's important that we'll that we're explicit for this. Um, someone called up the BBFC and said, "Look, I've I've got a show that's coming out in the UK. Um, I want it to get this age rating. I, I don't know what the restrictions are on language. It's being dubbed at the moment. Can you just give me some guidelines on strong language?" And apparently, this person with a very sort of a posh accent came back with. Oh yes, uh, you can have uh, two fucks, one bugger. But if you want to cunt, that's right out. Yes, that's that's an old that's an old quote as well. That's been um, and it's that's yeah. Oh, th- this is someone I know personally who got it on the phone. Oh, oh really? But I mean that 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 almost, almost word for word of um, of I think I'm sure I'm sure um, Peter Cook said something similar. Yeah, they've been working off the same uh, list of uh, <coughs> interesting words for the last however many years um so uh, actually for for reference for those uh, who are international listeners we probably have two or three still left uh the bbfc british board of film classification or censorship depending on how far back you're going um they as a mandatory thing take in all films in the uk provide them with an age rating which then is a guideline to cinemas on who can see the film. It can be overruled by local councils, and sometimes there are some issues with it on video, but... Also, we have different ratings for video and cinema in this country. Uh, they've been unified now. No, they haven't. Just oh, no. On video. Uh, I thought Nonsense. That had, I thought that had there's, been reintroduced. There's 12, there's no 12A. Oh, okay. Because um, it's, it's a nonsense, isn't it? It's a, it's a yeah. Yeah, I, I know yeah, they are, they are closer than they ever have been, but yes, they did they take are. away UC, I think. Yeah, because it's pointless, isn't it? Universal, we, but children can watch it. Wait, what, what's universal? Well, well no, it was universal, but especially for children. Yeah, um, I think they have also uh, disincentivized the use of the uh, the white triangle with an E in, which was exempt from classification, which they thought was too close to a lot of their ratings. Yes. It's uh, interesting, and I think um, the more harsh language is uh, more harsh um, swear words. You need to have really good justification or character, character justifications and positioning. Or but the new guy Richie has a lot of those words in, but there are people who would say those words, and that's yeah. the justification for it. Well, uh, t- to be honest, I mean, if we're going to get into a conversation of this nature, um, 
if you're going to put anything in a film, you have anywhere between like 80 minutes and three hours to tell a story. If you can't justify everything that's in there, why is it in there? Um, so if you're going to use harsh language, fine. Just make sure it's appropriate. One of the uh, the only films in recent times to have been refused classification by the BBFC was the Human Centipede 2, I believe. Uh, well, that's a good thing uh, they got refused. One of, one of the, the BBFC rules it is around the use of violence and violence with no purpose. Um, so you, you are essentially forbidden from, from just creating gore for the sake of gore. Yeah. So that that was refused a rating on the basis that there was no no plot, no purpose to the uh, to the violence. I think they because they, that's the thing with with the BBFC. It's not like well, you, your film's not got a rating or your film's got this rating. That's that. Filmmakers can go away, recut, refilm, yeah, resubmit, re-edit, yeah. and, and it, get, it does and, cost and them. Uh, I will point out, it does cost them money every time. They oh do yeah, this. yeah, they do have to yeah. pay. Um, I think one of the, what I mean one of the more interesting things as well is the fact that having read the guideline, um, that there are things like you can get away with full frontal nudity at a PG, um, but it has to be justified by the film and in a non-sexual nature. Yes. So it's like, it's it's not like oh no, there's a bad thing here. Must be a fifteen. Um, they do actually have some nuanced guidelines, and they are certainly a lot better than they were in the age of the video nasty. Yeah, very true. Um, where I think you know, Evil Dead was being refused classification, and there's stuff like uh, was it Cannibal it, Holocaust as well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, Evil Dead got refused release in the UK for quite a long time, didn't it? Yeah. So. The, the, uh, yeah, the BBFC. What really interesting topic and what a, what a rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. But that's what we're here for. And quite frankly, if you didn't want a rabbit hole, you wouldn't be listening. Um, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Not the only one. Not uh, the only one. Okay, ha- 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 having finished our quor- uh, <sighs> I was going to do the tent in Quarantino thing, but uh, um, having finished our Tarantino section. Um, I think we should uh, move over to Alex, who's been looking at the Oceans series. Yeah, something a lot less serious. A lot, is that, David, is that David Attenborough you've been watching? Yeah, that's it, that's <laughs> it. No, the uh, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, uh, et al. remakes of the Oceans films. Um, so far, uh, it's just kind of something that's a bit more easy viewing, really, with uh, you know myself and girlfriend just of an evening not really wanting to think about anything too much um just put those on and they're they they're interesting it's, it's kind of looking back on the way that they're shot and the way that they are the way they're filmed it's, it, it does harken back a lot to the films of the the 50s and 60s and you get very much uh, i mean obviously kurt you said yourself you're not a huge fan of the series but uh, no i i, I like the first one i like the original yeah. And I was intrigued by what they did with the first one when they remade it and how they changed it. As in, quite dramatically, they used they took the name and, and one one character, maybe two characters' names, <laughs> um, and, and changed it. But conceptually, the, the concept is, is similar. Yeah. But then it then it kind of rambles off. Um, I, I don't mind the second one. After the second one, I got rather bored. Although although we'll come back. There's another one that's, that's quite good, but we'll come back around to that. So, so do you want to, Alex? Do you want to just quickly kind of refresh us on uh, what the. Uh the rough plot of uh, the Ocean series. So, Ocean's Eleven is um, 
they are basically a, a plot to pull off a heist on three casinos at once. Um, all their money is being stored in one in one vault. So the idea is is to if you take that one vault down, then you take all three and you can make off with the money. And it's obviously a lot of the film is the setup for that. It's quite clever in the way that it sets it all up, and you think it's going one way, and then there's a big twist at the end, and it's actually not been set up the way you think it has but it's sort of that's what they want you to think yeah. almost um, and the second one having uh, well I mean I don't know spoiler alert having successfully pulled off the heist oh my uh, god what a spoiler film, yeah what a spoiler <laughs> what a spoiler having successfully pulled off the heist in the previous film the, the person that they have stolen the money from is is wanting to get said money back so basically gives them two weeks to, to wasn't the money insured the money. the money was insured but he wants oh my his, god he, he wants his money back he wants the, the he wants to double his money he doesn't care about the insurance oh my god oh my god <laughs> oh my god so, so dramatic um i try i try but um but yeah so then this they they come against and up against uh another more sinister and equally as successful thief cat burglar he's a Frenchman of all things um, and again hijinks yeah, ensue twists ensue the way you think it's going isn't actually the way it is going um, and again at the end they, they are successful in the heist and, and again I say not seen it in a long time started watching the uh, Oceans 13 which is uh, more of a revenge story than anything else but also with a heist thrown in, because when in Rome. Well, I, it, if it didn't have a heist, then quite frankly, it wouldn't be an oceans film. Well, like, it, it would be like having a Fast and the Furious movie without ridiculous cars. So <laughs> don't um, go there. Or Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> I've still yet to watch that. Don't. Um, I don't want to. I, I watched too many trailers for it. It was on advertised in cinema for like six months. <laughs> I don't want to watch it. <laughs> Leave me alone. I quite like the Fast and the Furious series. Um, I don't hate them. I was surprised when I started watching them how much I enjoyed them, but we'll probably leave that for yeah, another time. Yeah, that's another time. Um, no, I, many years ago now, did watch uh, Ocean's Eleven because, uh, surprising that, that film's nearly 20 years old. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought it was um, a perfectly good, um, nice, um, like... As you said, fluffy brain off, just roll with it kind of fun film. Um, it is, and uh, but what more than that though? What I particularly enjoyed rewatching it as more of a mature adult, should we say? It is the the more really? artistic element. Well, I should have you. Um, the more <laughs> artistic element that we've gone for in it. A lot of the way that it's shot is quite sort of artsy, and it's not just direct, direct, straight up. Here's where they are. This is where they're walking. You know, here's a a camera panning along with them these different sort of zoom shots and it's it i say i think it harkens back to the 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 that sort of golden age if you will of cinema in the the 50s and 60s where there, there weren't visual effects there weren't you know high quality cameras it was all sort of done through manual camera work and yeah i think it's well i think I mean, interesting i think interesting comparison is the is the modern italian job is interesting because it's a remake of a 60s film yeah. as well but but it, but it does have visual effects and it doesn't quite achieve the same thing that Oceans does. Where it, it tries to do a similar thing with the same with a similar genre. I, I know genre. I've yeah. seen that film and I have no memory of it whatsoever. 
best way. I mean, best way. It just, like, why would you want to replace that original film anyway? The, the, the original Italian job, I know I've seen all the way through. I loved it to pieces. It, I mean, it's a bit silly, but it works for what it is. Yeah, um, very I've, much. I've also seen bits of the car sequences uh, nicked off in other things, but yes. that's the side point. Um, I mean, literally, they took the shots and just inserted them in other films. Oh. Yeah. Thinking, isn't there a Mr. Bean where they nick the mini chase and stuff? And there's loads of loads of the, the rip-offs the, of the mini chase. Oh, if, if By the way, if you want the most infamous one of those for just nicking things, um, you know the sequence in Terminator 2 where um, the Terminator is firing a minigun out of a building at police cars? Yeah. Stolen wholesale for a TV series where they literally just cut that sequence in um, with someone else having shots of the interior so they could show them with the minigun. Okay. Like, what, was that? what show was that? I can't remember what show oh. it was, okay. but th there are some YouTube videos that show it being done, and it is just the worst. <laughs> anyway, side point. Um, so, yes, um, Oceans... I mean, Oceans has um, a an actually pretty decent director in uh steven soderbergh mm. um so uh, you know if you go back through his history um you know sex lies and videotape uh that's certainly on there um i've heard that uh where are we uh aaron brockovich as well also yeah. a very good film uh it's got the ocean series uh now i have heard logan lucky is tremendous as well, that's one of his more recent ones. Only a couple. That's of years very good. Ago. I like Logan Lucky. It was very good. Yeah, that's very good. Um, which hey, there's always a quirky twist. It feels they feel like mainstream movies, and he definitely has a homage in many of his films to the classic filmmaking, to the kind of not quite Hitchcockian, but that 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 a classic style. Yeah, but there's always a twist to his movies. There's always something a little bit quirky going on. Not 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 like David Lynch or anything really weird, but just a little bit kind of off kilter, and I quite like that. Yeah. I do actually. I quite like um, Ocean's Eight as well, which is not a prequel, as you might think it was. It's, uh, but I quite liked Ocean's Eight, which was the a Danny Ocean's sister getting her getting her girlfriends together to go and do a job as well. It's just my my eldest, who probably shouldn't have watched it, loves it. And um, yeah. <laughs> I've not actually seen that one. I've not seen the uh, the remake. I'm not it's the surprisingly remake, the female good. Female. Ocean's Thirteen, I feel, is definitely the poor of the poorest of the trilogy, and I was expecting Ocean's Eight to be go further down that, because often is the case with trilogies they just get worse after a while, you know, or sequels. But Eight's good. I liked Eight. It was different, different twist. I, I, I'm now looking at what the um, the director of Ocean's Eight previously did, and that's that's an interesting set of stuff. I so, don't know who directed it. So it's uh, Gary Ross, right. um, who was the writer for Big. Just oh. out of nowhere, uh, wrote and directed Pleasantville. Oh yes, yep. Um, then directed the first of the Hunger Games. Oh, which I think is the best one of the series. Uh, um, uh, I'm not sure what I think about that. Um, oh, okay, maybe, fair enough. Maybe I like them all as a whole. I think they work well as a whole. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'd agree with you there. Uh, but I think the, I, I personally think the first one was the best one. But yeah. Like coming from the guy who did Pleasantville, um, to then move on to the Hunger Games and Ocean's Eight, that's a that's a weird career path. Um, actually, seems to have done more writing over time. Um, with, with 
big oh wrote Lassie the 1994 version of Lassie dear god <laughs> and of course Sea Biscuit, which he wrote and directed oh wow so there you go that's, that's an interesting one I've not seen Ocean's 8 so I can't really pass comment on it um I like it I liked it um when we were looking at movie posters to get for decorating the new house uh, it was the first one on my eldest list for posters she wanted on her bedroom wall oh okay Mm-hmm. She likes it that much. Uh, she's twelve, so you know. Maybe you should. Maybe that's not a good, good um, benchmark. But it's it's good. I like it. I, it's better than thirteen. Is it better than eleven? Is it better than twelve? Maybe. So your daughter's got an Ocean's Eight uh, post. Yes. That is kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I think the only movie poster I've got in my room at the moment is. Um, the Rogue One post they gave out at Star Wars Celebration when we saw the trailer for the first time. So I treated myself my office, not my not my lip. Actually, I've got a, I've got an Empire Strikes Back poster behind me in the living room. But in in my office, I thought I'll get some frames and some put some nice posters up. So I bought four movie posters for the wall, and there is a fifth one on the way. So I have the Dark Knight poster. I have um, a Blade Runner poster, not one of the original ones because I don't like the. Um, uh, and we'll come back around to that. Um, okay. I've got, and I think there's a problem with them, and I think I know. I think I'm guessing why. I've got a Rogue One poster, um, movie poster that has has the sort of running the rule running onto the breach at the bottom, and the Death Star above it. Quite the whole set, whole poster is quite grey. Mm. Uh, I quite like it because it encapsulates every element of the film. Um, and I have the Odeon twin poster from Endgame, which has the two Ooh. heart two two posters that fit together, um, which has those that survived um, yeah. who are in the so beginning of Endgame black and white versus colour is it it's got a lot of red was was black and white yeah that, that, but, that, that is an interesting selection of posters yeah I kind of feel it, it's definitely um, has that whole so Endgame I really like the poster more than, I do like the Endgame the, the movie but yeah. I, I like the poster more than, more than the, but the other three are very much films that I love the Blade Runner poster is not an original movie poster because they were all cartoony po- type posters and I don't know if they didn't have permission to use Sean Young's image because all of those posters if you google them all those Blade Runner movie posters she looks wrong in all of them and I wonder if there was an issue with rights or something because she just it just for me they spoil the posters like, even the original they're mainly just kind of quite drawn posters and, and most of the other characters all the other characters look fantastic and she looks not quite right oh like, I see what you mean yeah it doesn't look like her does it? it doesn't quite look like her so I don't know if there was a rights issue I don't know but so well, what I've got is, is more of a photographic kind of thing so it looks like and this is bear with me here um in the 80s, there was this tremendous thing amongst uh, video games of basically tracing movie posters and slightly altering characters to use for video game box art. Yes. Um, hence, like, uh, Contra uses, like, uh, bits of, I think it's either Rambo or what, a Schwarzenegger film. Um, but it's that kind of effect. It looks like they've traced them from another poster and altered them just enough to not be yeah. the original thing. Um, so I don't like it. Yeah. it, it also, it has the, the very interesting wording, I think it's the original poster, of Harrison Ford is Blade Runner. Yeah. Which... That's uh, an 80s thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> such I mean, and such is. 
What I would say is that just googling Blade Runner poster, um, the one for for uh, the final cut is yes. a lot better. That's much more. It is. That's photo based essentially. And I did nearly get that. What I've got is is similar to that. I don't think it is even the final cut. It might be the final cut one. I don't think it is. It hasn't got the blurry final cut at the top. It's it's a similar poster to that, and it's a bit cleaner. Um, the the one that hasn't arrived, which is maybe something I'd like to segue back to at the end, is for a film called Primer. Oh, okay. Which is still on its way because it's got to come from China. Probably means it's not legit, but you know. Uh, I, I see, now I, I I have a, an urge to rewatch Blade Runner now. Uh, uh, both and, of them. Both and of them. yeah, and the sequel. Mm. Can I make a uh, confession? Oh, oh dear! I know oh, it's not going to get me any internet points, but I've still never seen Blade Runner. Ne- okay. Uh, what what I would say is that you you should because I think, I think we should revisit that. That should be your homework. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's give us some homework. Watch Blade Runner. Let's all uh, watch Blade Runner now. Now, so, which cut? Of course, it's well, a difficult thing. But this is the let thing. your cut this be your own choice. All, this is what's always confused me, and what always kind of got me is which cut should I watch and whenever I've seen it I'm like well I don't know whether I should watch this because I don't know if this is the right cut to watch and if I watch the wrong cut is it going to ruin it I did watch the director's cut in the cinema when it was kind of re-released in the 90s I didn't watch the original in the cinema I I always used to like the original cinematic release with the commentary uh, not the commentary with the dialogue the the monologue and I enjoyed that when I was younger um I enjoy the cinematic experience without it more. Um, you get distracted from the music, from the from the fantastic imagery of the the the, the model work, the the views, the cityscapes that uh, are just fantastic. Um, I don't know um, where you would want to watch it because I'd want I'd want the experience that I had. So hmm, it's I hard. Mean, I I started watching with the director's cut. Which, right. ironically enough, isn't a director's cut, but that's a whole other conversation. Oh, don't even go there. <laughs> um, I only saw the original version when I got my uh, Final Cut box set. I believe I'd seen one buzz out of it, yeah. I got ten minutes into that and went, nope, can't deal with this, this is going off. Um, I have never seen the version with the voiceover all the way through, I, I can't deal with it because it sits there and explains everything it's like no I don't want you to explain what's going on I want to listen to it to like the so environment I, I want to see what's uh, going on yeah I mean I, I'm I'm a big fan of the book although the book and the film have have the same sort of source place but the Blade Runner is not a film version of the book in any regard um, it, it contains some similarly named characters uh, no, I go further. And Deckard is the same character, and and it, and it even makes reference to him being the same character. And they throw lines in from it around his his um, uh, the financial not greed, but his right. financial desires. I, I'm I'm going to move into a whole uh, in, into a slight thing here, in that I think they are different characters because in the film um, you do not see the same pride from Deckard. Um, partially because you don't have the whole section with him trying to uh, fix his sheep. True, and you don't have you don't. It By the way, if no one's read the book, this is going to be completely meaningless. Um, he's he is all, a, he's a lesser man in the book. He is. is, the, is, the, is the, 
Yes. He's, he's a, a lesser man. He's not... Um, but the Deckard in the movie, that I like the little kind of comments that got thrown in that harken back to it. So it must be expensive. Must be. There are the little kind of greed t- touches. Yeah, okay. He's not, yeah. Obsessed, he's not obsessed by it. So I think it's the same, it's the same character, but you see a better side to him. It's a more positively written story. Um, because he, he's a very he's not a very likable character in the book he's not very it's hard he, and, and I watched the film no he's I mean he basically spends the entire book being a terrible husband yes and trying to get off the planet and can't and blah, blah, blah. and, that, and yeah. there's, there's hints to that in the film but they're, they're hints they're not the main core of the story um, and back to Alex's point I think I'd say the same. I'd say go to the director's cut. You could go final cut, but I think go to, to whichever one of those you can get. I, I would say, access I, to. yeah, I would say there is there's there's little enough difference between yeah. them, and I know there are going to be people shouting sure at me over not. that one. But, um, <laughs> but I'm not. To be honest, I agree with you. I think there's such a small amount of difference for a first viewing. You're not going to know any difference between the two. Yeah. Um, Fuck unicorns, you know. Uh, no, that's in both. All right. It, it, it just is um, but yeah either directors or Final Cut both perfectly acceptable um, I, I fell in love with the director's cut but I will now watch the Final Cut for preference but it is I watched, it, it is marginal I watched the original cinematic probably for most of 10 years before I saw the director's cut I mean I suppose the, the problem with there is with me having seen the director's cut first that's my experience of the film. So to have that commentary placed on top makes it feel very different. Whereas you experienced it with the commentary first. Yeah, as a kid or as well. To yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mum also likes Marlowe twi- type esque noir. So and like sci-fi. I grew up in a house where my mum was nuts for sci-fi. So she liked that um, that noir Marlowe. Yeah. I can't think of another example. Esque commentary monologue that, that all those have so that was a positive influence on me so I didn't I don't now I'd rather watch it without it yeah. I tried going back and watching it it just seems tedious I, I agree with you so, so yeah. just to interject there um, so my favourite second hand online reseller has the final cut at 4.89 on Blu-ray or the director's cut for one ninety nine on DVD which you go for I mean, it's a huge difference. Oh, mm, mm, mm. I, I would, I would get personally. I would go for the Blu-ray, but that yeah. de- that depends on your TV setup. Um, if you've got a Blu-ray, a nice Blu-ray player and a, a good TV, I would go for the Blu-ray. Well, so I, don't I would... know if it counts as a nice Blu-ray player, but I've got an Xbox One, so. Oh, I mean, that's what I use as my Blu-ray player as well. So, so. Um... I was so my thinking, Mike, was the original, the, the original format that's then been converted into these two videos. I don't think you'll see a huge difference between two. So, um, so I, I'd favour I'd favour Blu-ray, but I, I don't think you see a huge difference. So, if you're talking the original format that's being converted, and, and again we're going to go into very dark places here. Um, if you're talking about proper cinematic film. That was well, projected film. Um, because of the size that has to be projected to, the archival recommendation for that is roughly the standard that is now called 4K. Um, but you're being very... So you know, as well as I do, you work in a, an IT environment, you work in a technical environment. You know, I know, that you're talking about 
theory, not practice. Yes, but, 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 but. If you're talking about then moving to Blu-ray, okay, you're already losing 75% of what would be the archival quality. If you then move to DVD, you're then going to a quarter of that again. Depending on what the transitional formats are. Yes. Uh, rough numbers, I, I, I will say. Uh, so I agree that the obviously 480 or whatever, roughly, the um, DVD quality is in, in modern terms is crap in comparison. But when you take an old film and you put it on Blu-ray, put it on DVD, I, it's hard to see much difference. I would argue that for film... It should, it so, should be correct. I agree you should be correct. I should agree with you. And I, I understand the science of what you're saying. I just find my experience is that you don't see much difference when you go pre-1990 or whatever you want it, ooh, where, where the dry ooh, line is. Oh, here, I, I'm going to bring up a favourite argument here. Okay. So I'm going to argue that films from before... I'm going to put a rough date on it of 1993. Okay. Okay. Uh, benefit pretty hugely from Blu-ray. I agree that it should. I agree that it should. Because yes. those were filmed with the intention, mainly, of being shown on cinema screens and they were using largely practical effects. Yes. Once, once you move post like 92, 93, and you're dealing with. Post Jurassic Park. Let's go with that as a line, isn't there? Something around that, and you're dealing with yeah. mostly digital effects that are targeted a lot at home video. You, you start seeing things like film stocks that are utter crap. Mm. Um, so th the worst one for me, um, I love the movie Stargate. I adore it. I've bought it on Blu-ray. It is the worst transfer <laughs> I have ever seen from film to Blu-ray. I just... It is mind-bogglingly bad. <laughs> Everything about it looks flat and terrible, and it's it's just it's not the same film. You watch some of the special features as well; they look like they've been ripped from VHS. Yep, it's appalling. <laughs> now, after a certain point, when they go, "Oh, hang on, we've got DVD, and you know our computer effects are getting good enough that we can do this properly now," you start moving out of that valley of the terrible Blu-ray. Um, but I would say there is a good 10 to 15 years where movies of that era just do not move well to Blu-ray. Before that, black and white film stocks, um, moving up to like your early colour and yeah, right through till certainly most of the 80s, you get really good transfers as long as they don't post-process too much. And that is a whole other... So Point. that's where that's where I'm kind of that, that's my argument is yes I don't disagree with the principle of what you just said I agree that you should get a pure proper analog film if it's mastered properly to straight to Blu-ray you should get much better I totally agree you should but in an awful lot of cases especially when you start talking about 90s DVDs anything that came out in the D in Blu-ray early on or came out in DVD early on. You end up with a digital master that then gets transferred to Blu-ray and you end up with a film that doesn't look great. And you're talking about things like dynamic noise reduction, which is the devil. Oh, loads of different nonsense. That, <laughs> where, where you start, yeah. So uh, so in principle, totally. You should get, it's yeah. a wonderful life. It should be one of those amazing things that transfers to Blu-ray. The reality is that in some cases where they've done different things with it, it doesn't look amazing, for example. So it is, um, 
Yes, but yeah, the, interesting the, debate. But yeah, I agree the, with the principle. Yeah, the, there are cases, but I think for <laughs> going back onto a topic from long, long ago, um, Blade Runner, especially the final cut, is one of those ones they where they would probably have done a proper. Mm. Yeah. Cancer. Because they knew the sort of person who was going to buy that box set. You mean you? Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, fair. Um, so it's. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, personally, I would go for the. the, the so the, I think I think we should all watch it. I yeah. think we should all watch. So the final cut. That's what we're going to. That's what we're going to review next time. I think that's yeah. the plan. Yeah. I, I will, of course, also watch. Um, I always forget the number. Is it twenty forty nine? I think it's twenty forty nine. Yeah, sequel. I think so. I can't remember. The Blade Runner sequel is is twenty four. Well, you got cut off there, so it's Blade Runner twenty four, which gives me an entirely different impression of that film. Yeah, no, twenty forty nine. Okay. Twenty forty nine is the Blade. Is that not a John Cusack film? I think I know the film to which you're referring. <laughs> See, I really like Junkies like as well. It's unfair. Was that twenty four oh one? Twenty twelve or whatever it's called. Yeah, I don't know. Awful the- disaster movie when they have to face uh, the face. Oh no! Sorry, we were even thinking of different films there. So you, you're thinking of the film twenty uh, twelve? I think so. Yeah, which is again the the bad disaster movie. So bad. Um, I'm thinking of. Oh, I I need to find the thing now. Where's 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 the easiest way? For... Alex, did you sell? Because you hear he used his keyboard sound effect again. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's like, it's like with Homer types and symptoms. It's like you know, foley artist at work. For for for, <laughs> for those in the know, I have a mechanical keyboard. It's great, um, but it does make a lot of noise. Um, I'm I'm trying to find the the, the name of this film. Um. Oh, there we go. It was uh, four. There you go. It's fourteen oh eight. I was thinking. Oh, that's of. the room with the, the horror film with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Yes, I love that film. I really like that film. Get uh, the uh, crap out of me. I went in that expecting just to think it was an absolute just pile of garbage. Oh, it's good. I love it. Uh, it's and then I got ten. Then I got ten minutes in and went. Oh no! Actually, this is quite good. Uh, I think I need to leave because it's going to scare me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get scared by it. And by the way, the multiple endings to it. Just mm, so good. Um, anyway, I don't know why. I think it's supposed to come at similar time, but I quite like the Raven, which is um, not in any way related, except except it's John Cusack doing a horror esque type of thing where he plays um, a grandpa helping the police investigate crimes. It's, really, it's like take Castle and send it back hundred years. It's great. This is just it reinforcing my thing that John Cusack just takes weird stuff because he can. Oh, he, sometimes he does weird stuff. And then he does 2012, and then he does weird stuff, and then he does another one, and then he does, yeah. He's always, his whole career is that way, yeah. if you look at it. He, oh. he does in, interesting indie weird stuff, which I think is fantastic, and he does some mainstream thing, and you got to go, well, you're good, but what is this film? I mean, uh, 2012 just... Oh, it's such a bad film. It is. But so I, bad. I enjoyed portions of it, but it's so bad. Well, the, the ending credits, yes, I like those two. Actually, yes. <laughs> um... Anyway, so it's, interesting, it's interesting that we evolved in homework because I was gonna, I was gonna go there anyway. But clearly, we've, I like the way we organically come to homework with our own Blade Runner, which is very cool. I like it. Yeah, yeah. So I, what I was gonna do was segue into the poster that I've ordered for that purpose. But I think we should come back to that next time, almost. But yeah, 
Okay, fair enough. Because I, I do, um, I've ordered a, the poster for a film called Primer, which is a Shane Carruth yeah. film, which I'm, a, I'm ridiculously huge fan of. Well, um, we, tell you what, we will come back to the next time, and that's good. Yeah. That is an awkward conversation if ever I've had one. Um, cause yeah, we're we're d- not going to segue into Upstream Colour, that's way too big. Oh. I've watched that film about three times, and I do not know what it's about. I, I've bought it, I need to watch it. Um, I don't I don't I don't know what it's about. I don't get it. I, I want to, and I like it. I like it. I just don't know why. Well, um, let, let's let's segue into the film that I watched. Um, yes, do, do. One of the films I watched because I watched several. Um, yeah. So I picked up the Gareth Edwards 2010 film Monsters. Um, this is set in an Earth that is after some kind of alien invasion or incursion or it's not a virus although that said um and it 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 purely deals with um a journalist who is trying to get um uh, it's the person he works for trying to get their daughter home um and in the way is the quarantine zone and it goes about as well as you'd expect it to um it's a very interesting film in that it was the gareth edwards film that he did before godzilla um so very much even though it's titled monsters it doesn't really focus on the monsters themselves it's more the threat of them being there or what they're doing in the background or how society has evolved alongside them um that that it's it's talking about um and i mean i really enjoyed it to the point where it's it's 94 minutes long and right at the end i had to sit there and go i need to watch the first 10 minutes again because maybe what you maybe want to watch it again yeah because it it does something very interesting it has a, a neat little callback right at the end that if you're paying attention changes the tone of the film completely oh, oh okay. um because if you're not if you don't remember the start of the film the ending goes one way if you do remember the start the ending goes a completely different way um, I, i'm gonna have to watch this again <laughs> um so I, I i don't know what you're referring to i'm gonna have to gonna have to watch it ah, I, I, I like it a lot i liked it a lot so, um i mean Interestingly enough, uh, I have read upon some of the, the background of the filming in that a lot of it was done with basically the entire crew in the back of a van filming on very short notice without permission in certain places. Um, and for what they achieved with that, it's absolutely incredible. It tells a good story in 90 minutes that is, you know, good and complete. It's a It's a cheap film. But the effects do not look cheap. No. And yeah, for it looks like a great independent movie. The um, you might not agree with this, but I said the nearest thing is probably Cloverfield. Um, actually, yeah, I, I would, I would not disagree with that. It's and, very, uh, very much like, the same vein. And I like the little found footage bit right at the end of Cloverfield in the middle of the credits, with the use where where you see the beginning right at the very end as well. Yes. Not, not in the same way you've just described. It's it's, it's not a t- twist in any respect. Yeah, and it, and it and it kind of segues into 
Cloverfield paradox in a weird forced way, kind of. But it's in and of itself. If you ignore the the side sequels that go on, because I, I like them, but if you just go Cloverfield of itself, Cl- Cloverfield is very much a name that they attach to films that are tangentially they have alien-ish things in them. And that's about it. That's that's kind of all that there is for that series. Yeah, they kind of changed both the other films. Um, and yeah, but yes, yes, you're not entirely wrong. Yeah, um, but I like so the film itself. I, I like the the because it's so up close and personal with massive things going on in the background. Yeah. Sort of way, isn't it? It's good. I mean, just incidentally, the, the, there's only two years difference between Cloverfield and Monsters. Is there? Um, yeah, Cloverfield was 2008. Monsters was 2010. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, so, I mean, Cloverfield, <laughs> at the time, I think got a bit of a bad rap because a lot of people were like, oh, it's it's made me feel ill and like... Oh, because the jerky camera kind of business. Like, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I get it. If you're motion sick, you're motion sick and that that's fine. I I, I, like I, I watched that film and had a, a good time. Again, it's a, like, it is only, what, 85 minutes? 85 minutes and tells a nice complete story that you don't need any more of and also does the the great thing a lot of the time of not showing you the monster i'd like to see jj abrams do more films like that uh, original content kind of even more clever film movies but but original content that are, that are not reboots not reimaginings not you know our childhood sci-fi Brought to the you know, brought to the new century, they are just. I'd like to see new material like that. We, I watched Super Eight with my children, segueing slightly recently because it is. I realise it is twelve, and and, and I've seen it before and really enjoy well, it. And I, I've I really like that. I mean, well, in the same way. I mean, you say it's J.J. Abrams, but um, he he was a producer on it, and that is a very important thing. Um, but if you look at who's actually the people behind it, it was Matt Reeves and Drew Goddard. Oh. Um, so Drew Goddard, who has uh, since gone on to write, um, let's have a quick look, uh, The Martian, um, mm. Cabin in the Woods, um, we'll, we'll gloss over some of Lost. Um, <laughs> but I mean, actually, if you if you go through his history, Drew Goddard, we'll, we'll, Buffett, we'll come back to we'll we'll come back to to Jeff Loeb in a big way, I know, yeah. but. If you look at some of his history, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Alias. Like, this is a person with a good, solid record in writing TV, then moved on to Cloverfield, Cabin in the Woods, The Martian. Wow. which okay. The Martian, which is in my top ten, then went on to write the earlier episodes of the uh, Daredevil TV series. Okay. So... Like he's he's got a, a good record between him. Matt Reeves, on the other hand, uh, is the guy behind the Planet of the Apes movies. Mm, um, new ones, yeah. Yeah, as well as the upcoming Batman film, which eh, I, I have concerns, but we'll see how that one goes. Do you know, I was convinced that JJ was had directed Cloverfield. No, it, no, this, no, you're right. Mm. This is it, it's weird. JJ Abrams directs far fewer things than you think he does, but his name gets attached to them because it brings people in because they're convinced that either there's going to be some sort of twist or mystery box or some kind of weird stuff going on. Um, and he, yeah, he directs far less than you think he does. Um, Sixteen movies according to IMDb. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would say. 
I do enjoy his stuff. F for good or for ill, he has done some really good films. Um, yeah, not all of them brilliant, but... We'll, we'll, no, we'll... I'm a big fan of Super, Super 8. I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm a big fan. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, Super 8. Um, although that, that's another one kind of in that vein again. I mean, it, it's, yeah. more, it's, it's more of an 80s... <sighs> If, if I said sort of the 80s, like, group of kids movie. So, in the same way that so Stranger Things is, is the current, current yeah. thing around this. Yeah. Which, 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 you know what I watched also with my children recently was E.T. And I always thought that Stranger Things borrows from it in a big way. A lot of Stephen King, a lot of Stand By Me and, um, and Dreamcatcher and all those Stephen King films where he references adults with children. And you kind of get that a lot with Stranger Things. Going back to watch E.T., oh my God, E.T. is like the archetype for, for Stranger Things. It's like the jumping off point for, for Stranger Things. It's really good. And yeah, it's, it's a similar kind of feel, isn't it? It's that kind of I, kids in the 80s. and Well, it's 79. It's set in 79, not even yeah. 80, but yes. I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I just hate E.T. Um, oh, no, I don't hate E.T. at all, no. Not no, at all. I, I think... <laughs> uh, like, so, um, I, I have... I have issues with the sum of... Steven Spielberg's films. Um, maybe maybe we should come back to that definitely because because <laughs> because I'm not so I went I've been through ups and downs with, with Spielberg uh, and and I think some of his films are some of the best films that have ever been made but not all of them. I would certainly agree with that. <laughs> I, I I think that that's a that's a good one to have like a half hour conversation yeah. on the films of Steven Spielberg. Um, not that I, I think it is popular at the moment to, to really kind of shit on stuff he's done. He has done some amazing films. Yes. And I, I will not take that away from him because some of his films are still some of my favourites of all time. I oh, put, very much. Like, if there's ever a point where Jaws leaves my top ten films of all time... No, it can't. It can't. Like, it's so good. It's still so good. I mean, we've just been talking about... Uh, oh, actually, we haven't. That's not even him, is it? I was going to go... J.J. Abrams, but it's not. It's a different director. Bad Hat Harry Productions, which mm. isn't him at all, is it? It's um, what's his face that does X Men. But um, it's, a, it's a Jaws line. It's just, it's yeah. just a, Jaws is so good, always yeah. repetitively. Yeah, and, and, and that's and that's with a crappy rubber shark. Imagine how good that would be with really good effects. <laughs> I, I actually think it would have been a worse film. I so I yeah I, I, I think they had, to, they had to cut it all out, didn't they? Yeah, it's a bit yeah. better. Uh, and when you, whenever you've got to spend more time with uh, Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, mm. um, oh, Richard Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus, yes. Whenever you've got to spend more time with them, just acting on screen, you've got a better film. Um, yeah, this is really uh, good. Yeah, and the whole thing about. Uh, Robert Shaw. I mean, it's it's one of the infamous movie speeches of all time. Robert Shaw talking about the sinking of the Indianapolis. Yeah. Yep. That speech, even when I was like eight years old, watching that movie for the first time. Who let you watch that when you were eight? <laughs> let me watch it. I didn't sleep as a child, so I got to watch all these late night movies. That's so it was, so it was really bizarre. Um, I mean, our age difference is even less consequential as we get older, but. I was probably watching the same films that you were at the same time. Yeah. It's like, this is... Late Night BBC One just show some amazing movies. Yeah, that, that's exactly where I saw uh, the 1930s King Kong for the first time. Mm. And, and Alex Cox, Alex Cox late on a Sunday night as well. Amazing. Uh, used to be amazing. Or BBC Two used to be fantastic movies. But, yeah, I just... Uh, yeah. 
Jaws, always one of my favourite movies. Yeah, mind um, <laughs> But Yeah, well, I'll argue uh, with that. I won't argue with that at all. Definitely always one of my top ten movies. It's fantastic. But but have you seen The Meg? Yeah, no, I did not finish it. I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. I started it. Do you know what? My children have freaking watched that. Not in my house. Crying out loud. <laughs> so bad. I love The Meg for completely different reasons. It's a dumb film. It's really, really, like, dumb okay. as a box of rocks. I, I can close the loop back to the beginning of this conversation. I really like Deep Blue Sea. Oh, <laughs> oh. Now, there, there's an interesting one. Which, I ag- really ag- like. Again, the running theme of this evening, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson. It's just, it's, I like it. I, Sam, and Thomas Jane, before anybody in who he was at all he's just so good and and LL Cool J being awful and lovely <laughs> <laughs> it's really good I love it it's just so it's a bit it's hammy like you were just saying but in a much better way it's just really good silly uh, hammy really good I do remember going to see that uh, movie at the cinema with some school friends and yeah we, we had a, a good time it's, it was one of the first DVDs I ever bought ooh now that, there's there's an interesting uh, bit of conversation Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I bought DVDs when they were new. <laughs> uh, I, I, I bought them as soon as the uh, was it the Tesco special DVD player went down to one hundred and seventy pounds. Uh, no, I bought a DVD player quite early on. Um, that was a weird, great import. Think ad was it? The first ones were. There was, very, there was a very limited selection when DVDs were first released, and I know what my earliest DVDs were. Uh, it was. Um, it was a James Bond film. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Oh, it, it, the title gone from, No, it was after <laughs> Goldmine. It was. Uh, it was the one after Tomorrow Never Dies. So my first DVDs were uh, were Region One DVDs. So for next time, I could collect them because they're still on my shelf, even though I can't watch them. Um, and I can have a stack of my Region Ones. There's probably about ten Region Ones that I bought on my first DVDs. Sorry, I, need, I know I know about I, half of them off the top of my head. I need to hand back my license as a James Bond fan because I've completely forgotten the name it. of a James another, Bond film. Here's another one then, another James Bond theme. Alex, have you managed to get your children to watch any James Bond and enjoy it? Um, not that I'm aware of. No, nor me. Oh, I, I've read that you should start with things like Goldfinger and early ones that... Um, there's a few. There's a list of earlier ones that, and Roger Moore, especially, it comes up in the list of things that, you, that they might enjoy. But I, they can't. I can't engage mine with it in any as a concept at all. And you can't watch the new ones because they're like 15s, 18s, or 15s, not 18s. But yeah, have you it's, tried? I've tried a bit. It's a series that, yeah. The, the more I think about it, it just wouldn't appeal to modern kids. Except we used to watch it because it was on every Sunday or bank holiday. Like today, there would have been a Bond in the afternoon. It probably was today, but I didn't look. But because uh, mm. yeah. they choose to watch what they want, they don't choose to watch it. I mean, it, I, I, I will say I did start with the um, the Roger Moore films. Oh yeah, and it was only after a while that I went, oh, oh, these are bad. These are these <laughs> I still are love them, but these are. are all bad. Um, and then went on to the Connery ones and went. Yes, this is what I, I want. I think we have to we have to agree to differ on Spy Who Love Me. I still love that film, but okay. I will not defend other Roger Moore, but I do love Spy Who Love Me. I mean, the Spy Who Love Me is essentially a remake of, um, oh 
from Russia with Love? Oh, with, kind with, of. With, suppose, with, yeah. with bits of You Only Live Twice kind of tacked on in places. Um, I can see Russia with Love. I can see what you mean about having the spy thing. Yeah, yeah it's... Yeah. I, I, Live and Let Die is good, but then I... No, no, sorry. No, that one I will not give you. Live and Let Die is terrible. I um, I, I think I do. Yeah, the only one I do, will be able to even vaguely defend is um, Spire Love Me. It's... um. But I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 but I, don't, I don't know how you can't get my children are just not interested. It's just like and they watch all kinds of stuff, you know. But they're like, why? I mm, the, the more I look at it, the more I think that uh, perhaps the time has passed to bond. Perhaps it has. Perhaps it needs to die. It's lonely and sad. Death. I mean, I, I will say, I I do still love the films. I I watched and enjoyed Spectre. Uh, yeah, me too. I love mm. Skyfall. I, I'm even one of the like four Quantum of Solace apologists. Um, I won't say it's a great Bond film, but I, I had a conversation with someone who is determined. It's like, no, it, it cuts too fast. You cannot tell what is going on at any point during the car chase sequence at the start. And I went, okay, right, bring up the car chase watch 90 seconds of it that you don't understand and then I will watch the same 90 seconds and tell you what happened and, okay. and did exactly that they sat there couldn't tell a thing that was going on I watched it and went okay they did this then they went over here and then there was a police car that got involved and then they got run off the road and then this happened and they just sat there and went how how can you get that from that like yeah I think that my, my I watched the screen with, um with James Bond is I think as a character he's just completely un unrelatable I think that for me I, I can't relate to him in any capacity as a character okay I mean you're, and, sa and you're, you're saying he's unrelatable what was your experience with the Bourne movies I was going there as well that's where my brain was going to never seen them never oh watched. interesting that sort of, it doesn't really appeal to me because again it's all kind of I don't know, it just feels a lot bit unrelated. I mean, I guess the the the, the born I've seen. I think I've seen the first born one, which mm. is go on. So you don't like, remember it. Go on. So you don't remember it. Go on. Well, yeah. That's, I don't really remember it massively. It's fairly unmemorable, but uh, I suppose in a way he is at the at the start of the film at least. He's kind of lost, alone, and a little bit frightened, almost. Yeah, um, he, he does, and that that makes him relatable. Whereas James Bond is always so kind of. Bond was where I was going in my head as well, where where you've got a more modern kind of concept, but that they then did literally borrow for the reboot with um, Casino Royale. Yeah, and they they tried to take as many things as they could whilst still keeping Bond Bond, and I, I think partially he is always going to be unrelatable because of the necessity of him being you know, oh, he, yeah he, he's got to be the super secret agent he's got to be the ultimate ladies man um and but it depends from then on which bits of bond you focus on you know is he, is he the the much warmer friendlier cuddlier roger moore or is he the more manipulative and cold-hearted well <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes, to an extent. <laughs> oh, I was being silly, but I enjoyed it. No, uh, Dalton, Dalton was playing much more the Bond from the books. Yes, much more serious he was. was yeah. yeah, I was being silly because I knew you weren't going there. That's why. I cut yeah, it. well, I was going for Daniel Craig, but I mean, I know you were. Your, yours yeah. equally worked. 
Yeah. Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, the, the the whole thing is that, as Goldeneye said, he is a little bit of a relic of the Cold War. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, if uh, like given control of a movie studio, several billion dollars, and you know all the movie stars in the world, I, I actually probably would reboot Bond back to the Cold War. Because if you can still make films like uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, you know, part of the whole Smiley's People series, then why not put a secret agent back into the Cold War? It's yeah, you know, it's, it's not an impossible thing. I fear we've no, we've veered no, off here, but uh, no, um, no, no, I like this good though. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, he he can work in the modern day, but modern day techno thrillers are a world away from where Bond came from and it depends on what you're looking for I guess so yeah and I think we're going to go different places with that as a concept go forward aren't we with with the kind of with the, the secret wars that, that I think we're, we're on the verge of as well I think we're going to that's what we're going to come into especially there is a consequence to the virus and everything else that's currently going on and I think that's probably what it is that we are going to have if we're not going to have outright war, because everyone's keen to avoid that, that's where we're going to go in a real sense. So, we and that leads to fear and films that 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 exemplify that. Thinking about the seventies, which is not a direct parallel, but that's what came out of that. Those, those kind of fear, poverty-driven times. You get really good, hard-edged uh, cinema. You, you end up with basically um, uh, a combination of things like. Um, Every, 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 I was going to go for every Gene Hackman thriller from the seventies. Ah, yes, yeah, it is. Agree, it is. It is. It is, and very well, very good as well, and and very very good films like Taking of Pelham One Two Three, which which you have a comedy actor playing dead serious like cop. This is really good. Well, it has had a remake. I, I was going to say it's awful. Really- it's not awful, but it's nowhere near as good. The original, such an amazing piece of cinema. Uh, which, which I sadly have not seen. Um, Do you know why I saw it? This is great. I, okay, I'm, I'm almost ashamed, but I'm happy about this. So the reason that I watched Taking a Pollen 123 is that it's, it's a Beastie Boys lyric. Okay. On Ill Communication, I'm sure it's an Ill Communication, they um, it, it, they quote Ad Rock, I'm sure, says it's like the Taking of Pollen 123. And I was like, what's that? Googled it and, what, and, what, and immediately wanted to watch it before the remake, before the remake was made. Oh. Have you watched the Beastie Boys documentary on Apple right. TV? Uh, no, but I've read the book and listened to the audiobook. Oh. So I'm so, familiar with the. I, I know what it is. It's another. It's an expansion of it, but no, I haven't watched it. it apparently, it is in a third medium of the same story. But I've got the book. The book's amazing. I've not watched it yet. I am going to watch it at some point. See, it's fantastic. It's really good. You'll learn so much if it's. It, I saw them interviewed about it, and it is a different version again of the same thing. Now that I'm looking up. Uh, take the original taking a Pelham one two three. Walter Matthau, isn't it? Is the is the it, kind of transport it's, cop? Yeah, it's Walter Matthau, and then second on the list, Robert Shaw. Like, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw is kind of called John Travolta's character. It's just so much better. I mean, a- again, I'm just going back. He generally improved anything he was in, mm-hmm. um, in- including um, from Richard with Love. So it's uh, thrown me because I did not know who was in that. Oh, I'd forgotten. Yeah, he is uh, Red Grant. Wow, he's the assassin on the train. Wow, I mean, closer to, to um, taking a pollen one two three in time. I, I love the Sting. I just, you know, obviously set a lot earlier, but I think same year or year before or after. Um, 
I love the sting. It's just awesome. It's a lovely film. <laughs> well, Pelham One Two Three is a year before Jaws. Uh, and is it? Is it only? Oh, and the, said, the, so the, the sting, sting is the year is before earlier. that. Yeah. So seventy three, seventy four, seventy five. Nice. So. Well, well, obviously I wasn't born. Obviously. Yes, absolutely. Mm, quite. Uh, yeah, there we go. What year? What year is this? Like nineteen eighty. Or yes, Alex. Yes, <laughs> Alex. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Checks in the mail. Yeah. yeah. Good lord, he played Churchill as well. Did he? In a film called Young Winston. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. He played. Oh, sorry. He played Lord Randolph Churchill. Oh, like so his father. Or something. Yeah. But yeah, just just going back through Robert Shaw. Oh, it's just awesome. just ridiculous, like list of stuff. But I think I think it's about Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. I, I, I've um, what did I watch recently? It was like oh, there's so many really good uh, um seventies eighties Gene Hackman movies. Before you get silly, there's so many really really good gritty seventies esque. Some of them made early eighties, but so many. Yeah, Gene Hackman again, great actor. I, I, as I said, linking back to earlier, just watch Crimson Tide, where he was playing oh, yeah. the the elder captain, um, and did a really good role of being that dinosaur of the Cold War who was, you know, ready to shoot at a moment's notice, versus Denzel Washington's sort of much younger XO. Well, I watched something that something an old movie. I'll come back to it next time when I look at what it was. When I watched it, I went, "Wait a minute, Crimson Tide is a remake of this." Ooh! But I can't think what it was. I'll go back and find out what it was. It was. It made me think Crimson Tide was a reimagining, not necessarily a remake, but a reimagining of the same story of the whole kind of. Um, I, 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 something about submarine movies, the whole claustrophobia, the the mm. uh, inescapability, the just. I, it, I just, it's hard to quantify. I think the translate well to some of the sci-fi movies things like um interstellar not interstellar um i was gonna go for event horizon but there's a few others around it that are less horrific but well, are just it, claustrophobic it, and if you want the sci-fi submarine movie go for the one that i've rewatched recently which is wrath of khan oh yeah which yeah, is I it along as well. the, yeah. the entire back half of that film mm. um was based off watching submarine movies um because you get this whole scene of like the two ships crossing over each other at different heights in space. Where well, well, there's the comment, isn't it? His thinking suggests two-dimensional approach. Yeah, his, his yeah. tactics imply two-dimensional thinking, and therefore they go, huh, just change the z-axis. Yeah, and yeah, uh, how, it's the first time in a few years I'd watched the director's cut of uh, Wrath of Khan, um, which uh, at one section. Did very like did like did bring a tear to the eye because it's good. It's it, really good. It explains something that in the original cut of the movie you never see. Um, in that the the dying ensign halfway through the movie, um, is Scotty's nephew. Oh, I didn't know that. And it, I mean, it's explained in the um. And when they're doing the, the inspection at the start, well, that's, that's moving. That's moving moment anyway. That's a that's a because all the cadets are full of cadets, isn't it? It's full of new trainees and yeah. And it's it's the whole thing of in the director's cut, you actually get to see the fact that oh, that's Scotty's nephew. Then in the scene where all the trainees are running away, yeah, yeah. he genuinely yeah. does stay there and try and help. And yeah. then 
it explains why Scotty is so Absolutely. broken that yeah. he brings him to yeah. the bridge and not sickbay. Yeah. And it's... Mm, it's a, 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 a Wrath of Khan director's cut is a I don't think I've seen that. I thought I had, but clearly I haven't. No, if, if you've not seen it... There's a couple of odd moments in there as well that I sat there going, I feel you've held that shot about a second too long and it's gone weird. Um, but it does an awful lot very right as well. Um, and fixes a couple of dead end bits of plot. So there you go. Mm. There's um we've talked about it before. There's a, a YouTube channel that um, I'm a fan of, which is called Film Joy. The YouTube channel is called Film Joy. There's a program on it called Movies with Mikey, and he's done I think two parts to this um like essays, two part quite long pieces about Star Trek. You should watch them. They're very very good. It's just about ha- how kind of haphazard the entire thing was in general, and and something that we all learn as we get older, whether whether everyone's who's listening or you guys have come across it yet, that for the most part, no one knows what they're doing in life in, in any <laughs> regard. You could become quite an expert in a field, and most of it's still black, um, and that's very true of of the how Star Trek happened, how, why it happened. It's if you ever read or, or even read about Leonard Nimoy's book. I think it's called I Am Spock, isn't it? It's just very much other how he almost walked away from it early on, how he didn't want to do it, how he thought it was his wife talked him into it, and um, he was short of work and he was doing Western bits as TV shows, and uh, just how the whole thing fell together, uh, and almost and it, when it became a movie, it was about how to stop Gene Roddenberry destroying it on a regular basis. It's really really oh. good. And, oh, if and, he, even more, and, even, yeah. and even better, more recently, he's done a really good show about that. It's lovely. Oh, if if you want to find out about uh, Gene Roddenberry almost destroying things, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, he got the show off the ground. He gave it this oh, yeah, wonderful, yeah. positive um, future where it was it was a it was a utopia, which I, I would argue we probably need a little bit more of in Star Trek right now. But that's a different point. Um, no, that that when it got to Star Trek: The Next Generation, and he was trying to hold it to impossible values and they literally had to try and marginalise him and kick him off the show yeah um, it, it, it was incredible um, because they were working where, where you were going there where you were going there when when because obviously you were I'm assuming you're referring to Picard um, um it's it's more than just Picard it's it's a more overbearing thing but specifically I, that I, yes. I like I enjoy Discovery but um I thought going back to Ratha Khan when before did you watch all of Picard I did watch all of Picard, yes. So, I thought you did. So, when he tried to find Dr. Maddox, I yeah. was like, wait a minute, isn't that the name of the Doctor and her son in Rathal Khan? Isn't that where they're going with this? Is that going to no, be Maddox's grandson? That, that's Marcus. Dr. Marcus. Oh, it is, right, yeah. Yeah, Carol right. Marcus. No, uh, yeah. Br- Bruce Maddox um, was the uh, scientist who wanted to dismantle Data in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, oh, Me- Measure of a Man, right. um, which... Um, her. For various reasons, they had to change the actor for, and I, I, I kind of agree with their, oh, their okay. reasoning on that one. Oh, okay. um, bedtime yet? <laughs> Sorry, so we keep you awake, wanna, Alex. You want to segue to a bedtime film now? Do you? I'm not sure. I want I'm, that kind I'm of content. I'm not going to lie. I, I make no bones about. I make no, you know, don't disguise the fact that I, I have no love for Star Trek. <laughs> so this, this conversation is, is just, uh, yeah, well, thrilling tell you what we'll 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 start a bit of a wrap-up 
Um, <laughs> we've got homework. Go That's a good thing. Yeah. We've got homework. No, we, we've we've oh, got some. Gone five Blade Runner now, don't we? we we've we've got some homework. Um, any other films that? Uh, People have got their uh, eyes on for the next few weeks to uh, have a oh, watch. You know, actually, saying that we talk about films we've watched recently. We watched um, the three extended cuts of Lord of the Rings yesterday. Oh, cool. okay. Oh, that that's a day. That's a day. That's a day. a day. Literally a day. It started at about uh, eleven a.m. Um, I think it was about eleven, um, and we had a bit a bit of a break between each film and. I had a Zoom call to go on um, after two towers, uh, but we finished about quarter to two in the morning. We were both absolutely shattered. Was that a work Zoom call? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, I was going to uh, say, yeah. without talking about who you work for, I'd be shocked. <laughs> Not on a Sunday, it wouldn't be. It's Sunday of a bank holiday weekend. Good Lord. <laughs> However, none of this answers the question. Anything you plan to watch other than Blade Runner? Uh, no. Uh, Ocean's 13. <laughs> we'll finish watching that at some point, I'm sure. Much to your chagrin, but um, <laughs> I, I look forward to your updated opinions on uh, how you're feeling about that series afterwards. Yeah, yeah we'll see. We'll see. Kurt, any plans for you? Um, I'd like to watch Primer again before we talk again. I think that would be another good kind of uh, self-set homework because that film changes every time I watch it. Oh, uh, I, I might have to do the same actually. Alex, oh. Alex, if you can, if you can find Primer, watch Primer as well. Um, it's um, yeah. So I, for me, that film has changed quite dramatically every watch. Even though we've got past, well, I suppose I've only watched it nearly ten times, it, and it does it has levelled off. There's definitely something changes every time. But the fourth time of watching, I'd say, was a full-on horror, which is just the weirdest experience for something okay, that so before Primer, and after wasn't. P R I M E R. Yes, it seems not to be available on any streaming services. Wait. Legal streaming services, should I say? Uh, oh, Amazon turns up makeup things. Let's uh, change <laughs> categories. Um, how do we do that then? Category. Good. Alex learns to use Amazon. Yeah, that's it. That's it. DVD and Blu ray. Primer yeah. DVD. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can put you in my family on uh, Google. It's on there, so. Oh, thanks. Is it, it? You say horror. Is it like no, no? It's not. Just the, but the, but no, no. It's not. But there's a a level of realization to. I would say for me, it was the fourth time I watched it, where it was frightening because of the depth of realization. Um, first time watching, no. I remember. So I I came across it through Twitter. Through I worked some lots of different circles of people on Twitter, and I used to use it a lot, as you both know. I used to use Twitter a massive amount. I use it less now, but still some. Um, and it was recommended through uh, a strange combination of people and a conversation. And I found it, started watching it. And I remember pausing it halfway through to get a drink and, uh, and get back on Twitter and going, all right, I'm halfway through Primer. I can see it's not quite linear. I can't tell you how. And they were like, oh, keep watching. And I watched it. And then <laughs> as soon as I finished watching it, I wanted to watch it again because you kind of go, because it unravels as you go along. Yeah. Um, and a second time does not entirely help nor does a third um, and a fourth fourth did things that I wasn't expecting and after that it levelled off to an extent but every time I watch it there's still more to it and there's more things that kind of I go really? what? wait a minute what? because um, you bring forward the learning from the previous watching and it does different things and I don't think the that was the intention of the director having listened to commentary 
and seen, read interviews with him, this level of complexity or, or unraveling wasn't quite the intent. But he doesn't make straightforward movies. He's only made two, but um, let's not go to the second one. Let's watch two we did earlier. Let's, not, let's just leave that one alone for a future time. But Primer, <laughs> Primer, I think, even for a first viewing, is just interesting. It's just a fun sci-fi, low-budget, really good film. It's one of those films, it does not stop to explain itself... And it will take you a good, well, it will take you a good 10, 15 minutes to realise, oh, that's what they're talking about. <laughs> you just have to kind of, these two people are talking, but they're using, the way they're using terminology, you have to sit there and assemble the pieces yourself as to what they're actually talking about, because you don't have. Like the context of these two people working together for X amount of time beforehand. No, because there's a there's a there's a, a a monologue that happens that is one of the characters, and you, I I think that's where I learn most time of watching it. Really, is understanding more of what he means and how early the story starts. That's the bit that shocked me. I think that's the fourth when I watched it the fourth time. I realised how far back the story goes, um, and. I found it shocking, and I did find it. it I found it felt like I was watching a, a suspenseful horror movie the fourth time, but not the first time, and not the second time, and not the third time. It was just interesting. <laughs> it didn't generally. I'm not joking. It, it's not. There is nothing scary in it. There's nothing. Nobody gets hunted down. There's no. There's no horror themes in it. It's purely the realization of, oh, that's what those noises are. Oh fuck! <laughs> but you won't yeah. detect it. You'll just think it's something weird, or your pipes, or something else, or. They, they explain it away. They explain it away. Yeah, it's and then when you realise what it is, it's just. And I think it took me four times to get to that point. It's just an it's, amazing it's, film. It's a film. It's, it's a film where if there is horror, it comes from you. Yeah. Oh, yes. You're well put. Very well put. Because what what goes on in your mind is the scary part. The actual film itself is not done in a threatening way at all. It's done in a very manner of fact way. Almost documentary. Almost. But but once you've assembled the pieces, you can find other things, and I, I think that's kind of the the, the best place to uh, really to leave that one. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, see, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm looking through my um, collection of films. I've I've kind of got I've got two that I kind of want to have a look at. Um, one is, um, and it's going back into the past, uh, Magnum Force. Um, okay. Which is the second Dirty Harry movie? Yeah. Because I've only recently, for the first time, watched the first Dirty Harry movie. It's Andrew Robinson is is fantastic, isn't he? Is, is um, he don't, do you notice who he is? Uh, you've lost me for a second there. So the the uh, the guy he's chasing, yeah, is 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 in tons of other movies. But but he's always low key. He's always in the background. He's always kind of like. Um, a minor character, but he's in so many things. Is it Tom Hiddleston? Loki. Uh, no. It's Andrew Robinson, Loki. isn't it? It's but, but, Andrew Robinson it. is the bad guy. Yeah, Sorry, being bad. Oh, yeah. okay. So I'm, I'm now looking up him as an actor. That's uh, So, Hell, Hellraiser. Yeah. And I believe Deep Space Nine. What? See, now that's disturbed me. I didn't realise that was Garak. Yep. Good lord. Um, okay. That's wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's he's in a lot of stuff. I think he's in an uncredited in New Hope as well. I think he's one of the that, pilots in New Hope. That makes it. Oh, that makes that film more creepy now. Thank you for that. Um, You're welcome. 
Anytime. Anyway, watch Dirty Harry. No, recently. I like Dirty Harry. I should watch yeah. those again as well. They're really good. But this is the thing, though. I watched it, and you really have to take it as a piece that is of its time. Oh yeah. Like the, the some of the some of the views and some of the methods used in it are like completely morally reprehensible. But if you look at it in its time and what it was a reaction to, it works. I uh, we've had a bit of a an Eddie Murphy thing recently, and I watched uh, Forty Eight Hours yesterday. We watched Forty Eight Hours as well. We had a bit of movie binge yesterday, and yep. that is a, and somebody made me think of that because it's incredibly racist at yep. times, but it's of its time. It's made really early eighties. It's it's also Eddie Murphy's first film. I didn't realize that was what that was Forty Eight okay. Hours, um, and uh, yeah, obviously in a similar way that the the level of kind of uh, tolerance is minimal, isn't it? Yeah. But the other option I have uh, is uh, the US remake of uh, Let the Right One In, which is Let Me In, um, which I've never yeah, seen, I've seen, and I've heard, I've heard it's fine, um, but I wanted to kind of watch it myself. It's, I think, fine. It's, it's, it goes far as it's good. I mean, yeah. Uh, I think the original's better, but yeah. So. The original's language thing is a creepy thing. Um, there we go. But uh, definitely a homework for everyone. Yes. Rewatch of Blade Runner. I think more more Gene Hackman for me as well, definitely. Lots of homework by the sounds of it. Well, I mean, you don't have to watch everything we're watching. But, <laughs> but Blade Runner, and then if you want to be caught up for the Primer discussion, watch Primer as well. Because um, that's. Yeah, watch it four times back to back if you care. Um, <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> well, the last thing you want is to be left out, is Yeah. Try and watch it twice if you really if you really want to try. What try and watch it twice, um, not back to back, but watch it and then leave it a bit and go back to it and watch it again. It's, there's so much more to it second time round. So anyway, all that remains is to say you've been listening to the Quarantine Film Club. Oh, it's my line. Mine now. I'm Mike. <laughs> well, I've well, been Mike. I'm well, yeah. I've been Alex. I'm Kat. Bye. Bye, Nick. Say goodbye, Nick. Say goodbye, Nick. Bye, Nick. been listening to the quarantine film club an elite cadre production music obtained from kevin mcleod under a creative commons license unmodified for show use please visit elitecadre.wordpress.com for appropriate attribution details